Good morning. As the children are leaving us, <clears throat> yesterday we had our CPR for our 60th anniversary. And I think those of us who are there, our hearts are truly warmed. As we learned, uh, recounted uh, God's faithfulness to our church. Uh, it's such a blessing. So, in October and November, we are entering into the last series of Following Jesus, which is the theme for our year. <clears throat> uh, last year when, you know, as I shared in the pastor's voice, as the church was opening up, uh, the Lord gave me this burden. I was doing my devotion through the book of Hebrews. You know, and the question that came to me was not just, should we gather back, what should we do? But really, what is the state of our souls? And as I read the book of Hebrews, I felt that there are very relevant issues that we also face. So the next two months, we are going to study this book, uh, Following Jesus, Pressing On to Maturity. Let us pray. Father, we commit this time to you. We pray for Holy Spirit to convict our hearts that we'll see Christ lifted up and you glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, once there was this chicken. It saw an egg, abandoned egg by the side, roadside. So it decided to sit on it till it hatched. Now, it didn't know there was actually an eagle's egg. You know, eagle and chicken, very big difference, right? The eagle soars majestically in the air while the chicken walks on the ground and then pecks at garbage. Now, this little eagle grew up with a chicken family, so it walks like a chicken, clucks like a chicken, and even eats garbage like a chicken. One day, it saw this bird flying in the air, and he asked, what's that? And his family told him, you know, he says, that's an eagle. But you don't have to think, you know, we, we can't be like them because we're chicken. And so all his life, this chicken, uh, he envies those eagles flying in the air. How it wished it could be like them flying with it, uh, in the clouds, but it never once opened its wings to try flying because it always thought it was a chicken. You know, when I first heard this story, it reminds me a bit of uh, us as human beings, you know. You see, out of all of God's creation, we are the only God's creation that bears His image. That means we have inherent dignity. That means God desires a relationship with us an abundant life, to know Him, to experience shalom, peace. But yet, many times we treat ourselves like animals. We don't believe we have inherent dignity, so we try to prove our dignity, try to justify our existence by our accomplishments, our, our accolades by love and what have you. We choose to act out of our desires and we end up in sin, in bondage instead of freedom. We struggle in brokenness. So how do we lift out our identity as a bearers of God's image? More so as Christians, how do we live out our identity as a child of God? How do we soar like eagles and not eat garbage like chicken? This is what I would like us to think about today. Sometimes we drift along in life, one season after another, and then one day we realize, you know, our hair all white, our children are gone, then what am I living for? What is the meaning of my life? Over the last three years of the pandemic, suddenly our lives have changed. The line between work and home is blurred. We're working all the time. We're very busy. Uh, we've made new habits, right? The way we work, the way we travel, the way we worship has changed. Pick up new habits, go online to watch movies, play games. Because we think work from home, right? We can have a lot of time. Uh, like me, right? Watch Korean drama. Nothing wrong with that. 
Except instead of watching two episodes a day, I watch two series a day, right? But you know, the point is, as we have all these habits, I ask myself, you know, does it, as I f- f- feed into my flesh, how is my spiritual state? Does it dull my desire for the things of God? Hebrews 1 and 2, as we look at today, will warn us, we'll see the danger of drifting and then how we can respond to it. Hebrews 1 and 2, we'll see the danger of drifting and what we can do about it. In the book of Hebrews, the word city appears more often than in any other book in the Bible. So the readers are like us that live in a cosmopolitan city, a pluralistic society, facing challenges to their lives and to their faith. So they ask this question, is following Jesus worth it? Do we ask this question when we look around at other people and you wonder, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? And because they have a Jewish background, the author replies to them with a resounding yes by proving the superiority of Christ over the Old Testament, that Jesus is superior as a person, as a priest, as his life. So chapter 11, 12, and 13, we'll see a life of faith, hope, and love. You'll notice there are five warning passages in the book of Hebrews, which we will study over the next two months. And I encourage you also to go join your DG so that you have more time to discuss. We see the danger of drifting, which is what we'll discuss today. The danger of doubting, the danger of dullness, the danger of despising, the danger of defying. And instead, we have to look to Jesus so that we can persevere in faith, hope, and love. So let's jump in. We start from Hebrews 2, the danger of drifting. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Why do we drift away from the gospel? Why do we drift away from God? Well, maybe because we're careless and complacent about devotion to Christ. We've been there, done that. I've done this before. So, you know, we have a CE class going on studying the gospel of Mark. We say, ah, I've read it so many times. You know, in the first seven years of my Christian life, I read through the Bible seven times. And then after that, I thought, ah, I know it very well. Don't need it already. And so subsequent years, it's very difficult to finish it in one year, you know, because there are many reasons and excuses. And we have to ask ourselves, in the last three years after COVID, certainly our lives have changed, but what about my devotion to the Lord? Do I still have fervor for spiritual things? Maybe it's sin and compromise. We go overseas with our boyfriend or girlfriends alone. We fudge some figures when we uh, report to the company. What's the difference, right? It's just a little bit of difference. We compromise and sin and gradually our heart gets hardened. Hardened towards the things of God. Or maybe there's the neglect of spiritual disciplines and ministry. There's no longer an excitement or intimacy to read God's Word, to get up first thing in the morning to spend time with Him. Instead, we rush off to work or we rush off to the front of our screens. Or maybe you step away from ministry, you step down as a DG leader, a Sunday school teacher, as a deacon, and then we really step away. I've done this before. And then we withdraw from the body, from the fellowship, and gradually we grow cold. Or mostly, perhaps it's just busyness. When you drive at high speed, the likelihood of getting into the accident is definitely higher. When we are busy, it happens. 
And as I said, unless you are like Pastor Leonard, no, he just tell me he drive car, drive very fast, so you don't need to check blind spot. Because if you're fast, there's no car around you. No, we cannot subscribe to that in our lives. When we are busy, we fail to slow down. Our hearts get cold towards spiritual things. So friends, the question we need to ask is, are we drifting? Why should we not drift? Scripture tells us, for if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's comparing this to the Old Testament that was mediated through angels. He says that you treat it seriously, every sin is, and disobedience is punished. Now what about this great gospel? If you neglect it, what hope do you have? After, talking about the gospel, after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The superiority of the gospel compared to the Old Testament. Christ Himself came to reveal Himself. The Spirit is in us, indwelling in us. And His point is, if you drift away, what else can you turn to? Two. You know, we have a fragment by Irenaeus, an early church father, that said that the Apostle John taught everything he knew about Jesus to Polycarp, the first bishop of Smyrna. And before Polycarp met with his martyrdom, he taught it to me, Irenaeus. Everything he said was in harmony with Scripture. You know, Polycarp, he was a disciple of Apostle John. At 88 years old, he was brought before the Roman proconsul and told to deny his faith. And he said, For 88 years, my God has been faithful. And you now want me to blaspheme against my Lord and King? And with that, he was burned and he stepped into eternity through martyrdom. Why will the old man at 88 years old not want to deny his faith and save his life? Because he knew what he had was real. Polycarp at the time was when the book of Hebrews was written. Okay, slightly after. So what we have in Scripture, the gospel we have heard, is passed down faithfully from one generation to another. And friends, if we turn away from that, if we drift away from the faith, what hope do we have? C.S. Lewis, he said, you know, as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who have lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? It means that if you lose your faith, it's not because suddenly you discover something to convince you. You have some sound argument. It's because we simply drift away. Our hearts grow cold towards spiritual things. We are caught up with our lives. We get busy in in raising our kids. And we drift away from the faith. And so friends, what is your spiritual state today? Are we in the danger of drifting away? And if if we are, what can we do about it? Hebrews tells us we need to look to Jesus, our captain, our brother, our king. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. He says, Jesus is superior to angels. God did not commit the world 
to give dominion to the world, to angels. Instead, he says, but one has testified somewhere. Now, when Hebrews use this phrase, one has testified somewhere, it's not that they don't know where it comes from. It's not like us, no? Sometimes we quote scripture. You know, somewhere in scripture it says this. This is not what it means. This is a Greek idiom to say that where it's recorded is not important. What's important is the content. And then he quotes this. He says, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned about him? Where is this text from? Psalms 8. Right, Psalm says, says, Lord, look at all creation. And what, what, what am I as a human being? He's saying that as human beings, God gives us dominion over His creation because we are made after His image. And you think, is that important? Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, the well-known atheist, an outspoken critic of the Christian faith, towards the end of his life, he embraced the Christian faith. He embraced Messianic Judaism, but essentially is the Christian faith. What made him turn around? He said, I believe there's existence to my purpose, there's a purpose to my existence, that I have value, and that means I must believe a creator put me here. In fact, after his death, his mistress published this article in Paris. He says, What should we make of this senile turn quote? And he says, He's senile and he betrayed us. She used such harsh tones to describe him that I think he truly turned his faith to the Lord. And what made him do that? Because he realized that, you know, we are not just animals. We have inherent dignity because we are made in the image of God. Scripture in Hebrews is telling us that we are like eagles soaring in the air, not chickens eating, pecking at garbage. But unfortunately, many times in our lives, we live as if we are garbage eaters. He continues, says, You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour and appointed him over the works of your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. We are not as powerful as angels, but we have dominion over God's creation. Then Hebrews, after quoting, says, In subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But, but now we do not yet see all these things subjected to him. Say, basically, we say, where God? We have dominion. Where? Where have? Then he continues to say, well, but we do see him, Jesus, or rather him, God, who has made a little, him, Jesus, who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He says, we have dominion, we see it in Jesus. Jesus, God, become man, therefore a little, for a little while, a little lower than angels, why did He come? So that He might taste death for everybody. Jesus came to die and He says, For it was fitting for Him, for whom all are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Jesus is the author of our salvation. God allows Him to go through suffering and death to, to perfect our salvation so that we can be brought to salvation. The word author, arch, Egos. If you split the word up, it's arch ego. Ego is me, it's I. Arch is the big one, the one that gives us identity and value. The word author, founder, captain. Meaning he leads us, leads us to do what? Scripture says in facing death, he faced death for us. Now why, why is this death thing so important? Do you think 
solving the problem of death is important? Most of us say, we don't even think about it, right? Think about it for what? We also don't know when, don't know what happened. Some, some of us say, we don't think about it, it won't happen. Really, it won't happen, it will come. But how do we face death? Because if we don't know how to die, we don't know how to live. If today you didn't know your destination was here at QBC, how would you know what direction to go? So friends, if you don't understand what happens at the end of life, tell me, how are you going to live like eagles? Soaring in the air. So most of the time, we'll just be chicken packing at garbage. When we truly understand the reality of death, it can be quite traumatic. A good example is the life of Leo Tolstoy, the well-known Russian author. In his book, Autobiography, A Confession, he said, When I turned 50, something strange happened. I have a wife whom I love and who loves me deeply. I have a great estate that's increasing in value without much effort on my part. I have a respected name and I have good health. But I cannot face life. I keep returning to this question that pushes me to the verge of suicide. What question is this? Is there life after death? Because if there's none, then what is the meaning of everything that I've done? Death will soon visit me or my loved ones and everything we have will be forgotten. I I cannot find one rational meaning for every action in my life. I don't know, maybe this guy thinks too much, you know? He keeps thinking, you know, if I die and there's nothing left, then what am I doing? So all, everything he's achieved, his name, his fame, his love, his estate, had no meaning. He said, sure, People would tell me, we, we, we cannot figure out the meaning of death anyway, so why bother? But I cannot continue living like this. In fact, I'm surprised not more people think like me. Because if we realize the truth about death, then life is one big fraud. You know, sometimes we think, People believe in the Christian faith because we don't use our brains, we don't ask enough questions. If you ask enough questions, you realize so many contradictions, you will drift away, you will not believe anymore. But the reality is that we don't think enough because if you think enough and you want to know, realize that for life to have a meaning, there must be an absolute. Sometimes we think because we face suffering and trials in life and we give up the faith, but the reality is not so. If we think hard enough about death and suffering, we realize that, you know, the only way to have have meaning to face suffering and death is to know there's life after death, is to know there's a creator who put us here. So friends, are you drifting from your faith today? Is your heart cold towards spiritual things? Scripture tells us to come back to the gospel. The gospel is not something we need 30, 40 years ago when we were born again and to become Christians. It's something we need every day to refresh our hearts, to realize who is the one who nailed upon the cross for us. We can have a relationship with God. We can go to heaven, not because of our morality, not because of our good works. God requires the perfect one. And none of us are perfect. And that is why we need the perfect one to die on our behalf. And that is who Jesus is. He is our captain who faced death for us. But more importantly, He is our brother. And so scripture continues to say, not only is He the captain of our faith, for both He who sanctifies, those who are sanctified are all from one Father. 
for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is our brother, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise, and again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. He quotes various Old Testament scripture to prove that Messiah will be one of us, will be our brother. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise also partook the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And my free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Again, the concept of death. Jesus, this tells us is about the doctrine of incarnation, that God took off his divinity and became human to become flesh so that we can he identify with our struggles so that he can die for us. How do we face death? Jeff Strucker, his... Uh, um, a U.S. Army Ranger. In 1993, he was stationed in Somalia. October 3rd and 4th, the events of that day changed his life. In fact, it was later made into a movie titled Black Hawk Down. Essentially, they had to go to enemy territory to rescue some people. And facing the bullets and bombs, one of his teammates got shot in the jeep and he died. His blood spilled all over the jeep. They got back to the headquarters and things got worse. One helicopter got shot down and they had to reinsert to rescue the pilot. But Strucker knew that they couldn't go in that blood-soaked Humvee. It was their friend's blood. So he had to clean it out, he, but there was no water. So for the next 45 minutes, he used a sponge to suck up all the blood. He said, looking at his blood-soaked hands, soaked in his friend's blood, he began to feel fear and he prayed. He prayed for God to protect him, but midway through his prayer, he said, I changed my prayer. I said, God, because he said he saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane struggling about facing death. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And so he says, God, if you will take my life today, I'm okay, as long as it fulfills your will. Since 13 years old, he was a Christian, but he says only the first time in his life, he was prepared to face death. Now, of course, they reinserted, rescued the person and he won a lot of medals. That's why he was made into a movie. After that, he left the army. He went to full-time ministry. He said this whole episode changed his life because he realized that Jesus is the captain of his faith. Jesus led him in the front line to face death. And now that we have overcome death, what am I to do in my life? Jesus is the captain of our faith. My friends, he's more so he is our brother who understands us. Roy Ongel is a preacher. He has a brother who is a multi-millionaire. One day, the brother bought him a luxury car. So he decided to rent a garage so he can park his car instead of putting it by the roadside. One morning, he came to the garage and he saw this boy dressed in tattered clothes with his face plastered on the mirror, on the glass. And the boy saw him and says, is this your car? He nodded. He said, wow, you must be a rich man. How much is it? He says, I don't know. The boy's eyes was really white. And he says, what do you mean you don't know? Didn't you buy it? He said, no, it was a gift from my brother. And the boy's eyes grew wider. He said, oh. And he says, I wish, I wish 
An ongoing thought, the boy will probably say, I wish I had a brother like that, right? I also wish I had a brother like that. But the boy said, I wish I could be a brother like that. And so Ongo was intrigued. And he says, do you want to take a ride? The boy said, sure. So he jumped in. You know, as they were driving, the boy was touching all the shiny things on the dashboard, shifting his body on the new leather. And then he said, that is my neighbourhood. Can you turn over there? And so Ongo thought, probably he wanted to show off. So he, he drove there, you know, so the boy could be seen riding with him. And then the boy said, I live there. Can you stop by the road? So he did. He stopped. And the boy says, can you wait for me a few minutes? And then he left. So Ongo left the engine running and he waited for 10 minutes and he thought, where's the boy? So he turned off the engine, went to the sidewalk and peered up the dark stairway. Suddenly there was movement. Suddenly he saw the boy carrying a limp child, a younger boy down. Perhaps that was his brother. He brought the boy down to the pavement, sat him down and said, this is the car. It belongs to this man. His brother bought it for him. One day, I will buy such a car for you. You know, we are touched by the generosity of an elder sibling for the younger. Not the multi-millionaire for Roy Ongle, but this poor child who desires to be rich so that he can lavish upon his younger sibling. Friends, do you realise we have a brother like that. The Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ gave up His riches in heaven so that we may live the life we don't deserve. While He dies the death, we do. Are you drifting? Are you cold towards the things of God? We need to come back to the Gospel to realise the one who hung upon the cross for us is a captain of our faith. It's a brother who is unashamed of us despite all our follies and struggles and coldness of heart. More importantly, he is our king. Verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. He has to become human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Next week, we will look, up this, look at this idea of being a priest. But a priest mediates, brings the people before God, allows people the relationship with God. And he says that by making sacrifices, and we realize in the book of Hebrews that Jesus himself became this sacrifice. A priest allows us to come before God. In the Old Testament, there are three officers, the king, the prophet, the priest. They are never the same person. They are all separate. The last king that tried to be a priest, you know what happened to him, right? Saul, he tried to offer offering as a priest and God said, because of that, you have lost your throne. I will turn to someone else and he turned to King David. Yet, in the Old Testament, it prophesies that one would come who will combine all these three officers together, king, prophet and priest, the Messiah, Jesus And so, this is chapter 2. We have just finished chapter 2. The whole of chapter 1 talks about Jesus being king. We don't have time to go through all the verses, but let's see how Hebrews begins. It says, Long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The Old Testament came through the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, 
whom He appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He begins the whole book with the superiority of Christ. He says Christ is king, prophet, and priest. He's a king to be worshipped. When we worship a king, it means we no longer worship ourselves. You know what happens when he tries to worship ourselves? We try to be king, we try to be gods. We need to justify our existence by our accomplishments, by love, by having more sex, more money, by different ways we try to justify, but when we try to justify ourselves, we will never succeed. But when justification and love comes from an external source, when you're loved by someone, when we worship God, God justifies us. We no longer need to strive to justify, to prove our worth, because inherently, God has given us His image. He is the King to be worshipped. You know the book, Lord of the Rings? This mission to save the world is given to this ragtag bunch of human beings, elves, dwarves, and hobbits, right? There are two humans, Boromir and Aragorn, okay? You don't know them, never mind. Boromir rules over, and his father rules over this large piece of land, the kingdom of the humans. But they are just stewards. Even though they ruled over it for years, they are not kings because the original king ran away, and there's a prophecy there will be a king who will return. And the prophecy says that this other person, the team, Aragorn, is the one. And Aragorn at the time, he didn't have an army, he didn't have land, he didn't have power. He was just a lone warrior. So you can imagine the dynamics of the team. Boromir resents this person. He says, because of you, I can't be king. I will never follow you. But through the whole journey, eventually they became friends and Boromir sacrificed his life. And before he died, he looked at Aragorn and he repented. He looked at him and said, I would have followed you to the end. And he said, my captain, my brother, my king. You know, when Tolkien wrote this story, Aragorn was a Christ-like figure. We look at Jesus when He came, He was just a carpenter. He died a terrible death on the cross. But He is coming again as King. Not just as King to be worshipped, but captain to face death for us and more so a brother who is not ashamed of us. And so the question I ask us again today, how is your spiritual state? Are you cold towards the things of God? Are you just drifting along? I mean, you're still coming for worship, still doing the things you're supposed to do. But what is the state of your heart? You know, I remember when I was still young, right, before I went to full-time ministry. I worked for a big company. The CEO picked a few young men, two or three, three of us, to do special projects for him. So our job was to go to all the subsidiaries and talk to their bosses about this particular project. Now, all of our subsidiaries are all listed companies, so it's a big company. So at the time, I enjoyed my work. I enjoyed the access and privilege I had to all these important people. I was going to get married and we're thinking about you know, what kind of lifestyle, what kind of place you want to buy. And then this question came about. It's always this voice. I, ah, if only I don't listen to the voice. But the voice asked me, he says, will you continue to love God fervently? And it just struck me, you know, it's like, 
I have to be honest, I didn't think I would. Now, I don't think 10 years later I've lost my faith, but I don't know if I can continue to love God so fervently or just drift on. So you know I went to full-time ministry and do you think I'm still drifting? Do you think I struggle? Of course. Because the problem is not external. The problem is not the temptation. The problem is not the job. The problem is me. The problem is the heart that is depraved. The soul that tends to drift. The me who will wander away from my Savior. And that is why God gives us means of grace. Our quiet time, prayer, giving, worship, evangelism, CPR. These are opportunities that we, we ex- uh, Lord suffer, opportunities that we re-encounter Him and our hearts are strangely warmed again. When was the last time my heart was strangely warmed? Yesterday during CPR. I want to encourage us to come for prayer meetings. We stop our DG the week so they come for prayer meeting. We only have four CPRs in the year. One is Good Friday, one is Watch Night, at least two a year. I want us to come. You know, you think I want to come? Every day I wake up at five something, you know. Sunday before sunrise, I have to wake up. Saturday is the only day I can sleep in. Actually, two Saturdays of the week, of the month, I have to come for morning prayer. So, of course, I also don't want to come. I want to sleep. But I never regret coming. Yesterday when I was here, I was so encouraged, you know, by the, the stories of, of God's work over the last 60 years. What God has done and you cannot fail to be lifted up that once again, like Luke would say, our hearts were strangely warmed. Friends, let us come back to the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ to look to Him as our captain, brother and king so that we will soar like eagles and not eat garbage like chickens. In my pastor voice, I shared the song. Um, Come down fount of every blessing. The pastor grew cold, but God restored him by using a stranger, using his own song. Jesus is the fount of every blessing to whom we come. Our hearts are prone to wander and drift, but He goes out to look for us. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love If you don't want to burst your eardrums Let's sing with me here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fault of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. 
clothed then in blood, wash it linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransom sold away. Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless days. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to live the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I want to give us some time to come before the Lord and to respond to Him in prayer. Let's sit in quietness and let us recommit to the Lord. And at an appropriate time, the worship team will lead us in response.